In today's episode, Dave interviews Second City alum John Kapalos. John has been in The Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Roxanne, and Nothing in Common. John's had reoccurring roles on Justified, Queers Folk, and Desperate Housewives. He also has co-starred in Seinfeld, Monk, and The West Wing. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. The important thing about good teachers, of which John Candy, the late great, was one. Mm-hmm. You said he was a sweet guy, and he was, but, you know, people are complex. John also was incredibly driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was intense. He was occasionally angry mm-hmm. uh, and fearful, mm-hmm. particularly of losing weight mm-hmm. or dealing with his body in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. I think he always had this premonition because his father died young that he was going to die young, which was very sad. Uh, he was also, you know, a gregarious and funny, funny, funny. But when I started taking workshops, I went to Second City in March of 1978. Uh, after having returned from a year off, I worked on an oil rig and sort of fucked off a year after quitting university and <clears throat> went to Second City one night in Toronto. And I said, man, I can fucking do this. I love the I can do this thing. Yeah. And it's one of those revelations. And it's, you know, there are lots of people today. You have one of my pet peeves against them. Uh, a certain generation of people that, you know, were raised where they can do anything. Like, you know, people, I can write an opera, I could do this, I can do that. It's like, no, it wasn't sort of a click and grab mentality. Because there are lots of things that I knew that I didn't. And it's not like I can do this. You click in, it's sort of like when you're opening a safe. There's one thing that drops and then another, then another, and then you can finally open the safe. Yeah, I can do this. But do I have the focus and ability to do this? And can I do this professionally? But and will I take the risk to do this? I mean, the, the, there's when those all those things. But line when up. you think I can do this, isn't there something where you go, you look at it and you don't question yourself. You know that you can do this. So there isn't. So you go. Uh, for me, there's a clarity. The moment I look at something and I go, I can do this. Yeah. And and when I say to myself, I can do this. Everything fucking opens up to me because, again, it's not I think I can do this or I'm going to try to do this. It's I'm looking at that and I go, I can do this. Right, right. And I believe that there is a certain clarity and purpose where that happens when you do that. But then you go into workshops and you see all these other people that supposedly think they can do this and they can't. But the thing is, I don't give a fuck about those people. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's, it's like, wait a minute. Am I be am I laboring under a misapprehension? You have to have a real. You have to have a real. This is, uh, this is when you become a professional. Mm-hmm. You have to have a real sharp eye on who and who you are and what your abilities are, mm-hmm. not limiting them, but understanding. You know, like a good ball player or athlete, what my weaknesses are. I'm bad on the left. I got to go here, and and but th- that's a whole other discussion. But don't you? But I don't give a shit because I mean, for me, I feel like if. If I wasn't meant to do something, that thing would not have come into my sight. Oh, absolutely. And the moment that it comes into my sight, I, I there's, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, there's a learning curve to all that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a fucking learning curve. And I love the fact that there's going to be a learning curve because I love, I love failure. I love, I really look at that and go, I get off on the fact that, oh, I didn't do that. Now I'm going to fucking figure out how to do that. So when you walked into Second City and said, I can do that. Because I've seen you, I've seen you work a lot, and there's a confidence that you have that I think that you had, that was in your DNA when you looked at Second City right away, and you you self-actualized. And I've also seen your work. I've also seen your work on st- in 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 film too, and it's just fucking sharp, dude. Well, th- thank you. Um, 
thank you very much. The thing is that you have to um, you have to be present, and, and when when you say you can do this, um, like you know, I talked about we talked about earlier the deal that I made with my father. He said, "Okay, listen." I said, "I want to be an actor," and he said. <laughs> without too much pressure. Great. Well, if you're going to be an actor, then just be the best. <laughs> if you're going to be an actor, just be the best. What do you think about that? Well, that's my father sort of saying, if you want to settle on something, then go for it. Right. Do not compromise. Love it. Do not, do not pass go. If you're going to do it, then do it. Now, does that mean if now, you're it, going that, to do it, then do it without doubt? Well, with a certain amount of clarity in so far as he said, go for it, but just be the best. Strive to be the best in your field because mm -hmm. that's the only way you're going to succeed. How do you do that? How do you come into something and saying, I'm going to be the best? Because for me, I'm looking at thinking, this is what I want. I want to figure out what my fucking voice is, and then I am going to be the <laughs> well, best that. Well, there, there, there is... Um, there is a certain, you know, like th that sort of says a lot about my father and is the way he drove his children. Like my brother went to Princeton, Harvard, and Yale, and my sister went to McGill and Princeton, and, you know, they were they were really academically oriented. And also there was this sort of key to, the key to success is work. This is a man who came to Canada at the age of 12, 11, on his own on a boat um, in, in the 1920s, uh, and was greeted by his 18, 17-year-old brother, and they lived together and got made it through the depression. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that, you know, so it's like, you know, they're strivers and, and not unlike other ethnic groups. And, you know, there's, yeah, there might, the, the priorities might be, uh, like the notion of finding your voice and then being the best is a little bit a deep dish for my dad. At but that don't, time. okay. Okay. But I'm talking about what, but when people are, when people are, if you're going into it saying I'm, if you're going to saying I'm going to be the best, you're missing out on what makes you the best. And what makes you the best well, is what your father's saying about the idea of like if you're going to do this, don't be half-assed about it. And for me, what I'm reading, it's your family, but what I'm reading for me because I think of myself as a successful artist, a successful, you know, improviser, mm -hmm. is for me it's that confidence that I think helped me so much the not having a doubt and 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 Somebody and people at Second City saying, "What do you have to say? What do you have to say? Say it." Right. Well, I, you know, at that moment <coughs> on the evolution scale, um, it was for me getting my foot in the door and seeing, you know, and and getting up. The thing that the the part and parcel of seeing it, seeing Second City, and going, "I can do that," was like. Wow, I've never been in a place like you know things are so much more developed now. I mean, if I was a kid today, it, it's all so much more put together. The improv theater scene and everything, and, right. and the sort of like the eighty classes you have to take to do this and that. But things were a lot less structured then. Sure, and also a lot like when I went to Second City, I went, wait a minute, these people are, are up on stage, saying their own words, coming up with their own situations, and getting laughs, and. They're getting paid, and not only are they getting paid, but they're getting recognized. They're getting other jobs. It's like, holy shit, you know. Um, this is really, really, you know, the mother load. Um, it so is. To, to be the best, um, to be the best is, I think that, that might have fucked me up and might have contributed to my a bit of my arrogance. 
And when I got into Second City, which is a whole, in Chicago, which was a whole other meat grinder of a process, um, uh, I quickly learned after about the first X number of months I was there, because, you know... Um, Who's in your company? Things have never come easily to me. There was a lot of, you know, and I won't go into it, but there was a lot of acrimony and, and, sure. and people are competitive and people say a lot of bullshit things. But basically, Joyce had my back. Joyce Sloan, the producer, and yes. uh, loved me. And Joyce loved, loved you. Yeah, and you know, you know, I was. She had a touring company that you know was a moneymaker for her, and she. I came in with a guy named Mike Haggerty. We both auditioned together, and um, who's been on the show? Right, has he? Good. Yeah, Hags. Um, and. Uh, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Uh, We're going toward the idea of finding your voice and uh, well, uh, and. Uh, um, you know, um, shit, uh, we were going to, I was going to say about, uh, fuck, I lost it. It's a, we're, we're going, this, for me, it's the, the idea of, uh, we're talking about the confidence that you have, the no doubt that you oh, have, oh, oh, and you said is, the best through you. This off. is what I, yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I started at Second City in the fall of 78. Right. I auditioned on August 4th, 78, um, under somewhat false pretenses, I told my father and mother that I'd had a gig and I borrowed my dad's credit card and took a Greyhound bus down from London, Ontario to Chicago and I stayed at this hotel on Ohio Street that had theatrical rates like for 28 bucks a month. And I showed up in the theater because I'd given Bernie, I'd met Bernie several months before as an, extra, yeah. as an extra on SCTV and I'd given my number. I'm dressed as an Arab doing this bit on SCTV, the Bob Hope Open Desert Golf Classic, where John Candy's Johnny LaRue, and he's dying in the desert, and Yasser Arafat, and Dave Thomas is doing uh, Bob Hope, and there's this golf classic that's happening, you know, in the Sinai. So I'm dressed as an Arab, and I asked Bernie, you know, can I audition for you? And he goes, are you ready, kid? And I give him my phone number, and everybody in the workshop, you know, is like that where all the extras were all snooting. How could you right. do that? <clears throat> Flash ahead. It's August 4th, 78 or 3rd or something. The week, dog days of August on Well Street. You know, I come into the theater at around 10 in the morning. It's a Friday morning. And, um, and Bernie and Joyce, their offices were right there in the front. Sure. Right, where the box office is. Was, I forgot about that. And nice. Joyce's office was here and Bernie's office was to the right. And, and I showed up and I said, look at I met Bernie Sollins in Chicago or in Toronto. And I know Steve Campman and John. Candy and and uh, they all say hello and uh, Peter Torquay and but Steve Campman was a big because he had been in the company in Chicago uh -huh, right and then he went up to Toronto right so he was a big uh, and well liked figure and Steve said hello to Will said please say hello to Will Porter so Joyce immediately took me under her wing I said I'd like to audition and she said well you can't audition until Monday <laughs> and I anticipated being there twenty four hours so I had to call my parents up and. Long story short is on Monday I auditioned uh, and they dragged this guy out of a bar across the street who was having his lunch there, the Earl of Old Town, the guy named Mike Haggerty, because Del Close said, well, there's this guy in the workshop, eh, I, you know. So they brought Haggerty in and he and I auditioned together. Oh, Haggerty hadn't even auditioned. No. Got it. We just went on stage and uh -huh. out in the uh, audience were Will Porter, now Aldous, uh, Donnie DiPolo, deceased, uh, Del Close. Deceased. Uh, deceased. Joyce Sloan, deceased, deceased. And, and Bernie Sollins, unfortunately, deceased. All what? Of them. You killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking kinetic audition it was. And Haggerty and I slayed them, literally. Um, 
after the audition, Haggerty and I, who didn't know one another, were sitting sort of looking at one another, sizing one another up in the lobby by the back bar, or the front bar, I should say. And at that time, um, there was no, uh, there was no, there was no entrance into the theater. There was no, the bathrooms, where were the bathrooms? The bathrooms were at the other end of the bar. So you had to yeah, walk but the there bar. Was, there, yeah, but um, at that moment in time, there was no, I'm trying to remember that the, they hadn't built, I don't think the bathrooms there or something. The phone, there was a phone there, a pay phone there. Um, pay phones. It, it was different. It was different. The physical setup, I'm blanking on how it was different. But there you, was a, Have you been there lately? I mean, the past year? No. Oh, it's fucking way different. Yeah, well. It's way different. Yeah, well, that's, that's the way it is, 2014. If you walk into that building, I was there a couple weeks ago. If you walk into that building, it, the thing exploded. It, like it metastasized. And Second City owns everything. And the layout, you can get lost. You can get lost. You get lost back there. Yeah, you're keeping your mouth shut. It looks like uh, you're holding back. No, no, no. I mean, you know, it's it's a different organization, and it's the uh, listen. You want to talk about Second City as an organization? When I came there in 1978, mm -hmm. my theory, and I got a theory, folks, like everybody does, uh -huh. is that when I came there and started touring in '78, that's when you know Harold's Animal House broke and things were really popping. That was it. '78, '79 in there, Belushi and SNL was becoming huge and I think in retrospect but I think at the time we saw a sea change going on and we were getting people toga 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 and all this stuff out in the audience wow and um but I think in retrospect what happened is that Second City and Saturday by by extension Saturday Night Live and all its proxies um flipped from being counterculture into popular culture uh-huh Right. So um, there was a sea change, and I think it made it more difficult as careers went on to do comedy and to do other things. And we find ourselves right now at a point where, you know, um, there were certain types of comedy that were new, brash, young then, which are not the same now. And like sarcasm and attitude and, um, you know, uh, irony and the lack thereof. And, well, Bernie you know, was all about irony, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and lack of message. So, so it's... It's it's exploded in a way that I think, you know, has made it naturally a lot more difficult to do comedy. I think right now... And a lot more intense. I, well, I was there... When I was there a couple of weeks ago, there, a couple of people that I talked to, they were saying it's it's swinging back toward being more of a theatrical um, element to the work at the Second City. Scenes are, scenes are longer. They go more in-depth than they've gone before because I do believe that comedy is like fashion where this is in fashion now and this being content but this also being the foundation of how it works the tempo of the beat and mm. what's what's happening and i think right now shit's slowing down and i love that for me i feel that that's the work that i loved seeing well th there are lots of factors that change what the theater's all about when i initially started in second city toronto and i noticed when i went to chicago because i had a real desire to go to chicago and i didn't know anything about second city chicago it's a, it was different. It's different. Much different. And right. my my opinion, much more interesting. In Chicago. And, and I, you know, without, I don't want to step on toes or go into to detail. Uh, well, I can, but, you know, much more political, much more social, much less goony. Uh, 
glasses that, and But that's what I hats. felt too. When I went, I went up to the, 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 the firehouse, is that what it's called? Fire Hall. Fire Hall. I went up to the Fire Hall and I saw a show there. I went up to the Fire Hall and I saw a show there. And I thought, oh, it must be the, the improv set because everybody's doing... And it was a show. It was the fucking show. And I'm like, wow, this is the show? How could this be the show? Uh, it seemed so dick jokey and poopy and that sort of thing. And it felt like that's not what I... that I'm so glad I didn't do that. Yeah, and um, there was a lot of... There, there's also the, always the title pull into dick poopiness and jokiness, and there are certainly people that cater to that, even in my day. Um, when I came to Second City in Chicago, Audrey Neen and Will Porter, Donnie DiPolo, uh, Jim Belushi, these George Wendt. These, these are, are the these people are, on the stage. People were in the main company, yeah. yeah. And Miriam Flynn, I think, had just left, and... Um, Shelley Long had just left, and uh, and Jim Belushi was uh, flirting, doing stuff in Hollywood, and I was in the touring company with Sandy Davenport, his then girlfriend, and then I think they became husband and wife, right? And, um, and Sandra Bogan, and well, actually, Coley Maloney was my early days, and Lance Kinsey, and that's who I saw, Mike Haggerty. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, <laughs> Joe Doyle and a guy named John McKee. Um, these are all Chicago people. Yeah, these are the people in the touring company. And, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of people in the touring companies, but the one I was put in, Natco, where we mentioned became National Touring Company, was that group. Uh, there were people like Ron Dean and... Uh, God, Ron Dean. And... Um, I mean, these are, these are Chicago actors now. I mean, these are act, like full-fledged actors. Well, when I was starting in 78, when I first got to Chicago, in terms of going to auditions, basically you'd see people like John Malkovich and Dennis Farina. Uh -huh. And Joe Mantegna was sort of had made the split. But these, this is sort of the generation, Gary Sinise. These are all the people that were starting out at that time. And, and to contrast it with what my experience when I auditioned for Lee Strasberg in 77, this was not going into bars and seeing people that were bartenders and waitresses that were playing to be actors. These were actors working in the theater. Right. And that's what made Chicago so special. And that's really why I wanted to make a beeline. Because I wasn't stupid. You know, I remember hanging in Toronto. And I... Canada was a no-go for me for a lot of reasons. So I realized I needed to get out. My mom was an American. I asked her about early 1978 to get me my passport. So the day that I auditioned with Haggerty, we fought... We didn't fight. We sort of stood there looking at this, the payphone, and we both phoned our mothers, right? Because <laughs> Joyce came out. We were sitting there eyeing one another. Joyce came out and said, um, "We only had one position open, but you're both so good. We're going to give you both a job." So we looked at one another and we said, "Who are you going to?" He called his mother. I called my mother. I called my mother in Canada. I said, "Hey, Ma, I got the job." She, there's this awkward pause. She went. Well, didn't you have the job already? <laughs> I forgot that I had indulged why well, I actually mom I had to secure the job. And she said there's a package here from the US consulate and I opened it and it was my passport. So wow. I went back Look up to Canada, closed my apartment in Toronto, what little there was of it, and and moved to Chicago and never looked back. And the deal with my dad was, you know, get a job, right? So I held on to that job at Second City for eight years. For eight years? Yeah. When did you leave? 
86. 86. 80, uh, early 86. Um, I want to go back to everything that was happening where you're talking about uh, Dennis Farina and Gary Sinise and uh, Joe Montini who just left and all those people. What an amazing time in Chicago theater at that time. Crazy fucking amazing time. And you have to really um, go back to the people that I think um, watered the garden, planted the seeds in the Chicago theater scene. You've got Bernie Sons and Jane Nichols mm-hmm. and Joyce Sloan. Um, without, Jane is Bernie's uh, wife. Right. And right. With, without who's, and Sheldon Patinkin. And, but without the who's financial and uh, emotional and, um, you know, support, these theaters would not have existed. Second City, you know, and you were just talking about this, or the, the organization that exists today, is a different organization. Unfortunately, gets much maligned, as it does through the years. Yeah, I got nothing bad to say about it. No, no, no. Um, and I'm not saying you do. Right. But, but it gets much maligned, and now there's the young startup improv scene. And, but it is, the root branch and tree is, is, is a very, very important institution. Yeah. And, you know, as in, I would be much happier that it is the I, I am much happier that it is the way it is today than some failed organization that we're lamenting doesn't exist. Anymore. Oh my God! Right? Or right. something that didn't and, explode. And I, also, I, I, and then John, I said about 1978 when it became counterculture, went into culture. You know, it's like it's like being at Yale University in the 1870s. I mean, Yale University. Early on, everybody knew one another, and they were all in you know, all the faculties. You know, we were fortunate to be at Second City in this time, right? In that time, but it's it's you know, uh, what's Second City going to be like a hundred years from now? You know, God knows. <laughs> this is the question of what what Second City is going to be. I interrupted like you, years. but you were going to no, say no, something. No, no, no. But I was. I'm going to say uh, uh, n- it's all right. Um, the I, oh, the fiftieth. Looking at the fiftieth, talking about the hundredth. You know, the hundred fiftieth anniversary. Looking at the 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 fiftieth anniversary, and just sitting there and and backstage walking and going. There's all the SCTV people. There's Catherine O'Hara. There's Carell. There's Colbert. There's you, um, and 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 then all the old folks that were there as well who were celebrating that fucking time. It is Yale in eighteen seventies. At that moment, that fiftieth was one of the greatest experiences of my creative life yeah it was a wonderful evening wonderful evening and and um you know obviously we talked before we went on the air about all the meat grinder of a year this has been you know bernie last year and this year sheldon and fred kaz and sheldon patinkin and and uh, you know the loss and of Harold, that generation is well, but you're going back you're going back to the the foundational generation well, yeah, but, you know, and, and I watched this David Steinberg documentary of a little bit of it recently where they're, gratefully for him, they got all this footage from Second City, you know, and showing, you know, Eugene Trubnik and Andrew Duncan and uh, uh, doing uh, Football Comes to the USC with yeah. US, uh, Alan Arkin, with, with Alan Arkin and, and who's the other, other one? Well, Seven Darts. Tony Holland. It. Yeah, Tony Holland. Right? Which, you know, you don't look like him, but you've got a bit of a Tony Holland aspect to him. He, wonderful actor. One of the first, unfortunately, people to die of AIDS. Oh, yeah, right. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a really wonderful Second City actor. Andrew Duncan, you know. And you know what? When I started at Second City, yeah, I revered. Initially, I said to Joyce and Bernie, yeah, if I'm not in Saturday Night Live in a year and a half, I'm leaving this place. About three and a half years later, Joyce came up to me and said, so how's that Saturday Night Live thing working out for you? <laughs> you know. That was the carrot, right? But but the, in terms of uh, for us, it's like, well, you might get on SNL, and I don't think I was ever that guy. But um, 
and uh, for a variety of reasons, and as much as I've read and seen it, you know, that's a whole other discussion, of which I'm not privy to. I know SNL is sort of another world. But, you know, I started looking at the Andrew Duncans. I mean, Alan Arkin, to me, was and is one of the people that I said, that's who I'd like to be. I love that. That's who I'd like to be. I right. want to be the working actor. I want to do that. Um, and I still don't really make distinctions, and people find this... I don't, the character actor, actor thing, you know, like, you know, never really, you know, like, what's the distinction? Oh, yeah. I, I saw that leading man parts tended to be a little more, um, just not as exciting. No. But um, I, I still defy, defies description if you're going to tell me that Bill Murray isn't a leading man, because he is a leading man in his own. In a oh, Bill he's Murray clearly, movie. he can open a movie. And and Alan Arkin can too. I mean, or yeah. Did. But, but those guys, um, you know, when I met Alan Arkin at the 40th anniversary, that was, to me, you talk about, a, that was a thrilling moment for mm -hmm. me. And I've since had to, I've worked with his son and had occasion to meet him socially. But um, uh, both his sons I've worked with, uh, uh, Matthew and... Um, Adam. Adam. But... Uh, you know, the skill set that I learned at Second City, um, you have to put it in your toolbox and see what works for you. The, the big thing for me at Second City, David, and it was a watershed moment, and I'm, it was that I, was, I came in really arrogant and full of PNV, and, and, and I had a lot to prove, and, and um, I was scared. It was my first professional gig, and we're all different in our 20s, right? right. Um, but I'll never forget sitting with, um, I believe it was Haggerty, <clears throat> who was who stood by me through thick and thin. Although he wasn't always, you know, um, uh, it wasn't always easy for him because you know there was a lot of competition and backstabbing and blah 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 at Second City. And initially, I wasn't the most exciting. I mean, not exciting, but I was not the guy everybody wanted to hang with. There was a lot of antipathy, and I remember um, quite simply. Said, complaining, oh, they're not doing this and they're not Who's doing that. Who's saying that? You're saying that? I'm complaining uh -huh. to, to Haggerty, you know, like, you know, why aren't I blah, 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 this and that. I was getting a lot of resistance, particularly from, you know, main stage actors and people like this and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And Hag said to me, well, you don't, I was complaining, you know, why don't they do this and this? And well, you don't treat them like that. What do you mean you don't treat them like that? Well, I was complaining about how people were treating them. Got it. And he said, well, you don't treat them like that. And then this sort of light bulb went off in this Stung moment where I went, oh, perhaps I should treat people the way I want to be treated. <laughs> and, you know, as simple and, and as crazy as that seemed, like, well, wait a minute, that's what I'm going to do. And I attached myself to that notion. And that's when things turned around for me at Second City dramatically. After about a year and a half, I was there and struggling and was in the touring company and, you know, then I started understudying and working with other companies. And after shows, people would come up to me and go, hey, uh, John, they'd sort of look around like, you know, uh, listen, uh, you're a lot of fun to work with. Uh, I heard you were an asshole, but, you know. Wow. But, and then they sort of look around and go, but you're okay to work with. I said, well, yeah, well, don't tell too many people. And slowly, um, <laughs> I, I set by example. I started to wrap my notion, head around the notion that, wait a minute, the only way you can get anywhere in this fucking business to truly get anywhere on the terms that I wanted to get there was not to be bullying like, uh, 
you know, because there are certain people that bullied me, mm -hmm. tried to get me fired at Second City, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, actors. And there were certain people that were scared of, you know, they weren't generous with their talent. They weren't generous with their talent. Interesting. For fear of what? Well, think? a lot of people, and then you walk away from people, oh, yeah, I hear comedy. And then there, you, and then you walk away from people, and there are people that say, oh, Second City's a rat's nest. Well, first of all, I'm going to defend the rat's nest yes. because I come from it. And secondly, everybody handles it differently. But there were people like, unlike John Candy, who was a teacher, who were not generous with their talent. Uh -huh. And they shall go nameless because I'm not going to say them, but they know who they are. Right. And also, they... But they were also living in fear, too. Yeah. Yeah, but they also didn't embrace the light. At some moment, the light is shown to you at Second City. And whether you see it or not, you know. Uh, now, and it may not be the same light for everyone. What is that light? What do you think? What is that? What was that for you? The, it was the moment where I realized I had to, in order to get what I wanted, I had to be the way I wanted people to be. Okay, I'd okay. Be to me. So what and you're now, saying... Now, now, and that, that doesn't mean that, you know, I lay down and... Let other people trash me, but there's this sort of a, an aspect of of selflessness. The you know um, the ego, uh, it's it's diminishing your ego and working in a group. Absolutely, very fucking difficult. And in in a lot of people don't experience that in their twenties, and again their thirties and forties, and they become unreasonable. Right, right. No, I I totally self-centered to the point of like you know. Sorry, I'm cutting up. No, no, no. I'm I'm just thinking about the idea of the light of of, of uh, each person is shown the light, and it's up to them to determine. Each person is shown their light, it's the like light that is their when light. When I took workshops with John Candy, we asked him in Toronto to do these workshops. We cobbled together some money when I was in Second City early on, or when I was... And, and, and John showed me the possibilities. It was like a, a, a... Like, you see, the Second City stage is one door, but it was like a thousand doors, and he flung them open. And he literally said, as I said before, he gave me a flower, and he, and he said, this is the flower. And you grab it, and you go, wow, this is beautiful. And, and, and he showed you ways of seeing that flower. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, when you understand the possibilities within yourself, that's when it becomes exciting. And then stage two is when you realize you have to, in order to unleash those possibilities with yourself, you have to co cooperate with others because it doesn't work on your own. I mean, flash ahead to the, one of the more disappointing evenings of improv is when Robin Williams came to visit us. And like people say he's a great improviser. He was a great propeller. But if you put your hand near that propeller, you know, he was a great onanistic performer, but he did not improvise well. No, no. From what I've seen, it, it's all, it was all about, it, what, he, he wasn't collaborating. No, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant spewer. Of, yeah, of, a brilliant spewer. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, improvisation, you know, uh, improvisation was Severn Darden. Right. And Eugene Trubnik. Right. And, uh, um, you know... Uh, um, some some brilliant improvisation I saw in in my day was was John Candy and Martin Short. <laughs> they used to do this scene uh, where Martin Short was this dork visiting a friend in L.A. and John Candy's about to meet his coke dealer or something, and he's a very famous actor. and And Martin is it's just a funny stuff and and behavior about stuff that they were experiencing right. too. Behavior and they shared the creation of right. it all because they knew they had to go off of each other. Right. And and yeah, occasionally they'd pimp one another and 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 but you know, um they were up to it. Second City was a great place. Uh um I may have stayed too long. <laughs>
How do you but, know? But, but how do you know? When but the then again, I spent my twenties in the theater. Well, I think my brother and I did the math one night, one Christmas night. We did like a, something like fifty-five, sixty-five hundred shows or something. But you learn how to act in the head of a pin. And what Second City gave me not only was the, you know, I had, I had the appearance of confidence before and arrogance, but afterwards I had the actual experience to put but it together. I believe so. That you, you can drop away the arrogance in a way and say, well, I've done this. I believe that that if you fake confidence, that's not that doesn't mean be arrogant. If you fake confidence, there's going to come a time where you're going to have confidence. You understand know what I mean? That's why I'm going to get you, you some water. You should get some. T- you should get a T-shirt that says that. Well, you know what? I've been telling people that forever. Uh, I'm going to get some water. Well, I I think that you there's a certain aspect of confidence that you just can't fake. Um, and that you just can't fake. You just can't fake. You know, and, and so you have to actually really believe in yourself. And even if you've deked yourself out, to use a Canadian hockey term, like, you know, when deking means you're going to you fake the guy to go right and you actually go left. Mm-hmm. If you actually tell yourself, you're really good and, you know, you can do this. Even if part of you doesn't believe it, if you, if you take it over the 50-yard line in your soul and say, you know, and that's, you walk in. And that's what, when people, I showed up at Second City and the people would say, he really thinks a lot of himself, doesn't he? Well, the answer is yeah. 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 The answer yeah. is yeah, I do. Yeah. Because you know what? Um, nobody else is. That's the fucking, that's exactly what I think too. So, and I also think that when you do a good job, tell yourself you did a good job. This idea of just like humbling yourself. It's like, you know what? I'm on this planet to bloom. Like that flower that John Candy gave you. I'm on this fucking planet to bloom. And if you're going to tell me you got to be humble, I'm going to go, I'm an actor, and I am fed on creativity. Well, and if somebody said, "Yeah, you're paying your dues," and 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 all this stuff, you know, whenever something really shitty happens, you get sort of reamed in this business. You're paying your dues, and then somebody said to me once, "No, man, you are only paying your dues to yourself. This is, in other words, you're not paying it to anybody else. This dues thing is going in your pile. Your pile." So when somebody said that to me, it was just sort of building character, but I wasn't sucking mm-hmm. up to some sort of I wasn't humiliating myself and uh, just becoming stronger. And uh, to that end, uh, I agree with you. It's the way, it's always the manner in which you do things, not the matter. So when when I did, when good things started happening, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, this and that, yes, I started saying yes to myself. But there was, you know, people found out. People found out eventually. Like, I didn't out. have to tell people I was in those movies. Got it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, right, I didn't right. have to broadcast I, it. I did it and went on. I, but when you, you just said something that I think is great. You said, when you started saying yes to yourself, when you started saying yes to yourself, that's awesome. The idea that you're going, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Yep, this is who I am. Yeah, this is what gets me off. Yes, 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 yes. And to celebrate all those things because those doors open for you because you said I'm coming through. The other, you know, and, and yes, and and at the end of that journey, at least the Second City journey, was sort of stage. The next stage, whatever that stage might have been, was getting to California, or you know, in my case, I went to New York then California, and um, realizing that this motherfucking town is not going to sit on me and keep me from breathing. And a lot of my reasoning for, you know, my career head was that I did like, I had done like eight or ten movies in Chicago and New York before I came to L.A. 
So there was no way I was going to have L.A. say, well, you're not an actor. Right. I'm, I've done this. Right. You know, it's sort of the way the Europeans come here, you know, being accomplished European film directors or whatever. They've done a body of work. It's not like you need to validate me. It's just you need to understand that this is what I'm, gonna, I'm here for. I, I, I always feel a little bit scared and sad for people that come to places like New York and L.A. Because I, and, and to learn. And the other thing I learned at Second City, which is the wonderful experience about it, is Chicago, Toronto, Rochester, New York, all the fucking places we toured were places to fail right. and to learn. Right. But then New York and L.A. became places to display. Right. But it was also places to fail and to learn, too. Yeah, but it, it, you have to be cautious about how you fail and learn in Absolutely. L.A. Well, but then you were saying earlier about what John Candy told you, which was what? Do do everything. Yeah, it's just coming out here was a different different animal, you know. For me, it was understanding, taking all those things I learned in Chicago, and then really putting them to the test. Am I truly uh, confident? Am I truly uh, have I learned? Have I? And and those are it's sort of like going into the kiln, you know, and having it like you can because you can have cauterizing moments in in Chicago, but. A lot of people, um, you know, can vilify and hate L.A. or New York, but they are uh, places where you have to uh, survive. In yes. Order to, it, yeah. It's kind of like like re-entering the uh, solar, re-entering from another planet. The atmosphere. You, you have to, you, the, the burn of these cities, you have to endure. And um, that for me was tough. There are moments of deep doubt, getting into the movies and saying, am I really good at this? And no, I'm not. And... And, and there are crashing moments because the level of activity diminishes out here in terms of the nightly. The one thing I got addicted to at Second City was working every fucking night, eight shows a week, six nights a week. and, and Improvising. And also at that time, David, I mean, the, the, the audiences have waned, and, but we never had an empty audience. No. No. I never, never had an empty audience. And either. like there were periods of last whatever while where Second City's business, you know, had problems. Had problems right. for a bit. Right. And and the theater has gone through its changes. I mean, I'm not privy to the details, but there were, you know, we never in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, there was the odd benefit audience. And, you know, in the touring company, I played, you know, <laughs> right, basements right. of kids' houses doing bar mitzvahs. I mean, oh, they were God. shitty shows. Horrible fucking thing. <clears throat> Horrible thing. That's not to say there wasn't the Chateau Louise, but I'm talking about in the main <laughs> the stage. Chateau Louise, too. But, you know, you right. get used to playing those audiences. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I remembered I left here. I left L.A. Uh, I'm sorry, I left Chicago January 5th of '95, and I uh, that was my last main stage show. January 5th of '95. I got out here January 15th of '95, and I went from a 310 seat filled house to doing the show at the Upfront in Santa Monica, and we opened the curtain. They went, you know, improvising show. We opened the curtain. There was like, oh, there's 18 people out there. I think we got a nice house. Going. Wow, 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 wow. Shit's different. Shit is different. But one of the things that I loved was coming out and having this circle of Second City friends. Having that, that, that foundation um, and people going, hey, what's happening? How are you doing? So you've been here since 95, huh? Yeah. Only. I know. And it's 20 years. It's right. 20 fucking years. Yeah. You're having a fucking great year, though. Yeah. This is really a good year for you. Disappointing end, but you know. Well, right now, I've, I saw you just in two well, things. I was supposed to do this De Niro movie, right? And they pulled the plug on it, so. 
But that was, that had nothing to do with you. No, but it was disappointing because I really, 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 really wanted to do this. Of movie. course, of course, I really you did. wanted to do it. But I, I also saw you in, uh, I saw you in uh, uh, Transparent. Yeah. A little thing that you came in, but the depth of that fucking thing. And I saw you in uh, Afternoon Delight. Yeah. What an uncomfortable fucking thing that was. <laughs> and what a great opportunity. Not a great opportunity. Well, first of all, Jill Soloway uh, gave me both those opportunities, you know. And, and, and Jill Soloway is being recognized by the wider world as to, you know, who and what she is. And, you know, she's, she's the real deal. She's the shit. She's great. And she... Um, you know, there's nobody like her. No, and there's never really. There's a huge lesson to be learned from people like from Jill, and and is that you know she is um, first of all. She is very smart, and she's deeply talented. So, and and she's committed to her work, and her work is unique. Um, and original. It's you know? really original. That afternoon delight. What, a, what an awesome movie. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's you know, we're, we all strive to be original, but there is so much, what we say, um, there is so much um, derivativeness in, in the nature of our, our beings. And, you know, yeah, you look at Andrew Duncan and Alan Arkin and say, oh, I want to be, you know, because at Second City at those times we had these, their archive was horrible, but I'd managed to get these tapes of shows and stuff and watch them in three-quarter inch machines. Want to get that? That's the that's the school bell across the street. Ah, kids who want to get that. <laughs> I'll get them. I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> no, think their no, parents no, no, no. Would that's really another story. Up, their parents would really be upset about that, but I'm, I'll get them. I'll go get them. God, that's a loud alarm. <laughs> and every once in a while, like the the principal will get on, on the speaker and go, "Are concerned? Everybody's going to turn on." I'm serious, and I'm thinking that <laughs> it sort of sounds like Juden, Juden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what was I talking about? You're before? talking about how unique. You're talking about the uniqueness that is Jill, and and uh, you look at all well, these people. Oh just, no no here here here. You were talking about you got the tapes. Uh, you got the archive, and it wasn't a good archive. At Second City, you said yeah, you got the archive. Yeah, just looking at those people, and yeah, you set your sights, sights on becoming you know this person that person, but invariably, you know when you start getting stuff, and if, if you achieve any degree of success and fame. Um, you know, I just knew I wanted to get into the movies early on. And mm -hmm. I just told my agents at the time, I was so fortunate to meet John Hughes. And that, you know, that they were making those movies. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Making when you said and... met him, you mean audition for him? Yeah. Yeah, audition for him. Just so fortunate. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and uh, I remember telling my agent, Harice Davidson at the time. Who's God bless Harice. Facebook friend and wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful lady. Um, you know, just get me in. And I'll see what I can do. Because I don't know whether the part originally was written when I did 16 Candles audition for this guy. But, you know, John made it about this guy. And I got to say, um, uh, getting your foot in the door. Like, you know, so often people <laughs> describe the parts. Yeah, you played another sleazy lawyer. You played another sleazy this, sleazy that. It's like, you know, it's just like, fuck you. I got my foot in the fucking door. Oh, yeah, you know, right? It's like, you know... Um, so many people outside the business or people that are intellectualize our business or talk about acting in a way that's like, you know, they, they don't really realize it's, it's about the work. I remember when I was in my... It's about working. Yeah, it's, and, and, and it's about working and right. about getting that work and right. the, the work 
it, it propels you to something else, right. right? You know, and I liken stage time at Second City and film time to, to flight time, right? It's like unless you're really on stage or unless you're really in front of the camera, you can rehearse, you can pretend, but unless you're really flying the plane and something goes wrong, and so that's why I, I not only I take the John Candy thing about do everything, but why do you do everything mm -hmm. to get better? And why do you get better to become the best, right? At least to become <laughs> the best I can be. That's what I'm talking the, the about. Because the race I realized uh, with in in sort of when I focused in my 20s was like ah it's not to beat you, it's not, especially that that was the thing I realized really coming up to California, is that yeah I'm um oh my god this guy's at this audition oh my god this guy's at this audition shit this guy's done so much I've got to be better than him no I got to be better. And I got to be the best I can be. You've got to be you. The is best, what you the got. best. Yeah, and because then, and then that's when that's when things really started clicking. Right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? I've got to. In, in I've got to tell world. these people who the fuck I am because if you're going to be comparing yourself to other people, you're fucked. Well, there's the imitative phase, uh, the beginning. Well, no, when I'm, what I'm when you look is at this. and you go, oh, I like this and this and this. No, but, that's not what I'm saying. That's but then, not what I'm saying. then there's the point where you go, oh shit, that I got to be me. Yes. That's exactly it. To say, and after a while, it, it, it's, it, it certainly serves you at the beginning to go, okay, I'm going to try to be Andrew Duncan or Tony Holland or whatever the fuck it's going to be. But after a while, what you realize is you shed that and then you, you shed that and you self-emerge. You, your voice emerges from all of that. And then, well, and then we get to work with people like John Hughes who say things like, um, now you do what you want to do. Right. Now we'll do a take of what you want to do. And Gary Marshall, you know, gave me a great opportunity and nothing in common. I mean, mm -hmm. I had great opportunities. And, and I sort of mentioned this earlier, but the skill set I developed at Second City, what I took out of the and made part of my toolbox was and is the ability to improvise something on screen and then to remember it. Right. Right. I, I had a very interesting occasion at Second City many moon ago when I improvised a scene with a guy. Um, Jim Fay, and uh, he was a brilliant improviser, and we improvised a scene that one night that was fucking great. It was great, and the nature of it I forget, but it was a really, really great scene. This big three-quarter inch videotapes we had at Second City. <coughs> I took a tape recorder in. I I I, I copied the audio. Uh, marked down the blocking and everything, copied the audio onto a cassette recorder, went home that night, and on my typewriter or early Mac 2C, whatever computer, I typed out the script verbatim, printed it out, brought it in the next night. I said, memorize this. Now, Jim Fay had a lot of qualities, but he was not a really particularly talented actor. <coughs> and he also, um, I said, memorize what you said. Don't deviate from it. Just memorize it like a scene. Because that is seen as set. It's done. Yeah, we could tweak off the improv. We could do this and that. But really, what we arrived at is where it's at. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. it. And then I realized, ah, this is one totally different skill than the other one. Acting is different than improvisation. Because up until that time, I sort of had them all swimming in the same pond. And they still do sometimes swim in the same pond for me. But you realize what certain people know. I believe that all improv is acting. 
And I think that a lot of people nowadays are saying they're, they're improvisers, they're not actors. And I'm thinking, you're really holding yourself back because you want to have that emotional skill set to be able to... Well, but also they're, under, they're also condescending towards acting and they're also, and they don't understand what acting well, is. Well, they also don't By the know. same token, there are a lot of actors that really, really condescend to, to improv. I think less and less people nowadays because they're, the, the payoff on the improv and acting and when a director says, you, you take it, when, when you get to do that, you better fucking know how to do that. Because if you don't know how to do that, your director is giving you carte blanche. You know the character. Now right. put it into your words. But on my way over here, I was listening to a piece on NPR talking about actors that turn directors. And there are a lot of actors that, strangely enough, do not trust actors who, when they become directors, do not trust actors to improvise. Because I think that there are lots of actors that don't know how to improvise, although they say they can. Of course they say they can. They say, I can do a British accent. Right. You know, they say they can do that too. But, you know, the misrepresentation part is like, you know, at the end of the day, it only fucking hurts you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have auditioned actors that said they've been at Second City, and I say, oh, did you know so-and-so and so-and-so? And, That's and, a horrible thing. And they go, oh, I took a workshop. I said, well, it's part of what I re mentioned or referenced earlier, this sort of click and drag mentality. Like, well, if I take these things and, you know, people, people the, the, the Betty Davis line is, how do you make it in Hollywood? She said, take fountain. Yeah. Well, people ask me, how do you make it in show business? I said, just don't lie on your resume. No. Do not lie on your resume. I think somebody... I would rather you had fucking nothing on your resume except the one thing and except, you know... Jane Morris tells a story about uh, Jane Morris and Jeff Machonsky who started ETC Theater. She's at an audition and she sees a woman has Second City ETC on her resume and she went, and a show that Jane and Jeff were in that this woman was not in and yeah. said, um, oh, so you were there then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, uh, and, and how long were you there? I was there for a long time. And Jane said, yeah, you know what? Um, my husband and I started that theater and, uh, we don't know who you are, and I would get that off your resume as soon as you could. And when I was uh, working, when I was running Second City here, and I'd see people ha lie about them being on their resume, about Second City being on their resume, yeah. I would call them up and I would gently say, "You don't want this lawsuit. You don't want to do that because, oh, that's the worst thing." Well, whenever I, mean, I hear that story, the the thing that's sad about it is, yeah, they might get the odd gig or somebody might wait to pay attention to, from, to them. But um, you didn't go to Yale, so don't put it on your resume. And you didn't learn what they learned at Yale. I'd rather somebody went, oh, yeah, by the way, I went to Yale, but I didn't put it on my resume. I mean, because what counts at the end of the day is the character of the person, not the you know, curriculum vitae. And that's why I quit university with two credits to go, because in a lot of ways, I didn't want that piece of paper to validate me. I wanted to... I mean, I, it was a fuck you at the time, but... Um, but look where look what happened. You got to do what it is that you fucking wanted to do. Well, and also I really got to do um, I got to do something that a lot of other people are afraid to even acknowledge in themselves is something um, I got to 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 trust myself in a period when I actually wasn't when people I think sometimes that trust is eroded. You know, um one of the things I see is, is um, they don't write the book on your 20s. They write your book about adolescence. 
But I saw so many people I know, friends and other people, and even when I was working in Chicago, people get lost in their 20s. And the one thing that I really was fortunate was like, if I didn't have to perform every night at Second City, if I didn't have to get up on that stage, and this is a bald admission, I don't know whether I would have amounted to anything. But the fact that my tie was cut in that conveyor belt and that I had to be on that stage that night, you know, as much as this is a horrible thing to say, there are many nights when I didn't want to go do it, right? But the, the thing about, and this goes back to my father's depression era principles, like get a job. I don't care what you do. That I don't want you to be a waiter. I want you to get a job acting. He said, yeah, be the best, but that overshadowed the most. I want you to get a job. And like there are nights when, particularly, unfortunately, after my father died, um, when that was because I remember that, you know, I stayed at home for about five, six days and my mother said, you got to get back to work. I was in the touring company and I rejoined my company in Philadelphia or at the Bijou. We were very successful touring at the time. This is 1980. And um, I think getting on that stage the night after my father died or the week after my father died and not wanting to do it and then during that first act, realizing there's no other place in the world I got to be is here. And that's what Second City gave me, even when I didn't want to do it. And like, I'd say to myself, you know, are you fucking crazy? You, you're doing what you're doing. But even when you're doing what you're doing, you bitch about going to work. You know, the, that old joke is like, how do you get an actor to complain? Give him a job. <laughs> but, you know, I, and if I didn't have to, I mean, I was blessed with that fight. I had to go do my eight shows a week. I had to do that. And um, I was dragged kicking and screaming to do that some nights. For, for no other reason except that, you know, you know, uh, the laziness of the human soul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, or also doing scenes that you weren't crazy about in the touring company, which, well, Well, yeah. it was tough. And it was tough understudying at Second City because mm -hmm. I, you know, I was given the gears by several actors that and to this day, you know, um, you know, yeah, we've mellowed and this and that. So you go, hi, you know. And there are cadres of people, right? Right. 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 There are cadres of people. <laughs> right. But in a way, um, the older I've gotten, the less inclined I am to be fascinated by the politics of any situation. Right. I find it tedious. And particularly, I had a horrible car accident when I was, you know, called out, you know, and I was, you know, charged with a felony and became, you know, persona non grata. And, and through that horrible experience that I put myself through, um, and I only had myself to blame, I realized that um, I took no interest in gossip or schadenfreude of anybody. Because there were lots of people, that, you know, Again, my detractors, who they, whoever they may be, sad folks they may be, uh, who I love them all, um, I just came out of it realizing, you know, there's no joy in seeing anybody get hurt. And there's a lot of that in Hollywood. And uh, gossip and the politics. I worked on this TV show recently, and they were just talking about the network politics. It's like, you know, I don't care. I don't care what some 24-year-old, <laughs> whether she wants to have the star change his hair or his shirt. or Right. It's like, it doesn't matter. I remember uh, Donnie DiPolo, when I got cast in the touring company, uh, saying to me, do not pay attention to the politics, do your job, enjoy every moment that you're there. Right. And I did. Leave before you're bitter. 
That's what he said. Well, the, the, the thing that John Candy said to me, again, I go the font of John because he said a lot. I said, when will it be time for, to me, for me to leave Second City? Grasshopper. He said, you know, when will it be time for me to leave Second City? I asked him. And like the, you know, he was pretty paternalistic with me and he was tough on me. Um, and I don't know whether he necessarily liked my work, but I think he liked me as a person. But politically, you know, it's a different world. Because I was never really in league with the SCTV people and they were never particularly friendly to me. Um, so what did John say? He said to me, you leave when you're the best person in the company. And I remember one night I was on stage kicking fucking ass in the improvs and I'm boom, boom, but I'm, you know, been in the company for <clears throat> three, four years. And I looked around and it was a stung moment where I went, oh, I gotta go. I'm not learning anything here. I'm, I'm the cock of the walk. It's time to go. <laughs> and take your cock somewhere else. <laughs> and I did all five feet of it. All right, let's end there on a dick joke. Why not? Thank you, John Capolis. That was great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.